Welcome back to the Let's Be Friends podcast. Back on the show is Derek Olson, who you may know as Megalithic Marvels. Derek is a researcher, explorer, and founder of Megalithic Marvels, a video podcast and blogging platform dedicated to reconstructing the prehistoric past and investigating ancient mysteries centered around lost technologies, megalithic architecture, and the ancient engineers who built them. Derek also enjoys hosting Megalithic Marvels tours to ancient cities around the world with fellow truth seekers and ancient history buffs. His next tour is coming up this May. It's a 12-day expedition to see and touch the world's greatest superstructures in Egypt. And then this fall, he's going to be hosting the Adventure of a Lifetime to Peru. Derek shares all the stuff that I like to say I wish I had learned in school, all the things I'm actually interested. So welcome back to the show, Derek. Hey, Kara, thanks so much for having me. Great to be back on your podcast. And yeah, really looking forward to some of these topics that we're going to get into. I think uh, the audience is going to be excited. I do too. I loved having you on the show last time. We talked about the lost uh, technologies of ancient Egypt. And I was just telling you, because we restarted our second run on this opening, because I forgot to press record. But here we are now. Your last episode with me on the show was one of the most popular Let's Be Friends episode. Everybody's interested in these lost technologies. We're learning that his story happened. We're not being taught everything. So what new discoveries are being made, right? Like in Egypt? Yeah, there was a new discovery uh, that broke, uh, I think it was just last week, um, which is kind of a rarity to get a you know major supposed discovery in Egypt. And so for those who haven't heard, uh, a new corridor measuring like 30 feet long uh, was discovered inside the Great Pyramid of Giza. And uh, the officials there with the Antiquities Department announced this. It was on March 2nd, actually. And this, this corridor is located behind what they call the chevrons on the north uh, face of the Great Pyramid. And so when I say chevrons, what I mean are, if you look at the north face of the Great Pyramid, in the center middle are these massive, huge gabled limestone beams that extend kind of upward vertically or triangularly. And um, this is considered by many, and I believe this is true, to be the original entrance of the Great Pyramid. Oh, wow. Right. The entrance that we go in or you're allowed to go in today is not, it's it's basically below and to the right of this original entrance. And it's just a hole that was blown in there in the ninth century. Because they, so th- they couldn't find the real entrance. So they just had to make one. Right. Or because they just couldn't get in. It's so right. impenetrable. And so, yeah, what you walk through now is just literally a blown blown through tunnel. Um, and you can see it's just real archaic. And, you know, you can see, see that explosives were used of some sort. Um, but, yeah, this original entrance is massive. And, again, you see these gables that stick up and dwarf all the other blocks on the outside of that north face. And so the crazy part is um, I think that it's called the Scan Pyramids Project. This is a group of scientists that have been – Man, the last handful of years looking for uh, voids within the pyramid. These are the guys, I think, in 2017 who found that other void um, that we've been hearing about the last few years. Um, So they found this using um, basically high-frequency ground-penetrating radar, which revealed um, this opening behind these so-called chevrons. They put this super, uh, like a five-millimeter thick, real small endoscope through the joints, and it's really cool. You can go to megalithicmarvels.com 
um, to see a photo or any even video footage of this. Um, but yeah, it shows inside this 30 foot corridor and it's the coolest thing about it to me is it's got the triangular gabled ceiling inside, which, um, looks just like the inside of, of some other chambers in the pyramid, like the so-called queen's chamber. Um, again, it's all megalithic engineering with these massive, what I call megaton blocks. Mm -hmm. And so pretty exciting discovery, but the cynical part of me, it goes, man, this is what they're letting us know about. <laughs> what have they really found, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, well, I mean, it's just crazy that, to discover something like this on the pyramid. It's like, so it was behind what was what they thought was just the face of the pyramid, right? And they discover it with this frequency sonar type stuff, right? And stick a little camera exactly. and see what it is. And they are able to excavate it and open it up and then... It's just it's wild like to to know that there's discovering new stuff still but I'm with you like what is this really for or like how long have they known about this or what where don't we know Yeah I mean this is again this is what they're they're letting us know publicly there's actually been some other great discoveries in the great pyramid I'll just reference one or two of them um there's a guy named Robert Edward Grant who's a a, a mathematician basically a polymath. He's into all kinds of uh, different subjects, but he's been going to the Great Pyramid for years. In 2018, he basically discovered in the what we consider the Holy of Holies inside the Great Pyramid, the King's Chamber. That's what they call it, although no, no uh, original king mummy was ever discovered in there. <laughs> I think we discussed that on the last episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but inside really the king's tombs, <laughs> right inside the king's chamber is what they call the sarcophagus. Well, I don't believe it was a sarcophagus at all. It was likely some kind of box that housed an energy device. Yep. Well, on the back side of this, Robert Edward Grant discovered two symbols that nobody had apparently ever seen before that we have recorded: uh, an alpha and an omega symbol. And you have to have kind of a special wow. red light to see it. But once you see it, it's it's there. And he's, you know, Alpha and Omega, these are Greek letters. He believes these are actually much older. These are the signature of the original architects. Wow. Because he's now found them like on the giant boxes in the Serapium. He's found them on all these megalithic pieces. He's found them. And he believes, again, these are symbols of the original, if you want to call it alphabet or, or yeah. writing system of these builders. So to me, this was just crazy. I did an interview with him and got to uh, see the video footage. That's on my website too. And then another thing, he he really has to, um, researched the life of Leonardo da Vinci, the great artist we all know about. Well, it's interesting to note that um, da Vinci... Basically, uh, if you study history, he disappears from Italy for like three years. Nobody knows where he went. He disappeared from public view. I think it was 1482 to 1486. Wow. I didn't um, know that. <laughs> right. <That's> crazy. <laughs> but if in reading his some of his letters and chronicles, he basically cryptically chronicles that he went to Egypt. And we know this by a letter he wrote to a sultan in Cairo, a powerful guy that was probably funding his trip. And so it's likely that da Vinci had a map. He's exploring inside the Great Pyramid. And I'm saying all this to set, set up that he encoded 
uh, according to Robert Edward Grant and a lot of other great researchers that have studied this more in depth, he encoded all these pyramid codes into his his major art pieces. Wow. And so I, that sounds wow. crazy. Oh no, that's a that makes sense. <laughs> right. And so yeah. his first his first major painting, I believe, after his secret visit to the Great Pyramids was the Vitruvian Man painting that shows the guy with like four arms and six legs. It's like he's moving. Oh wow. When wow. you when you place the Great Pyramid over this painting in the right proportion, the crazy thing is the horizontal lines that uh, Da Vinci has on this guy's body all perfectly align with the chambers inside the Great Pyramid. What, to Orion too, to the belt of Orion, like the Orion lines and the pyramids are set up, right? Maybe right. And the, the, and the air shafts, um, if you see, if you saw a, a, like a 3D map or a graphic of the inside of the Great Pyramid, you see these, there's these, vertical shafts that go up giving it you know like airflow and those even align to how his arms extend to his shoulders so and then the other one i'll mention is his probably his most famous painting the last supper right oh right yeah well it's crazy okay again picture da vinci in the great pyramid he probably spent days if not weeks months maybe sleeping in here living in here mapping this thing again if you put the um, blueprint basically of the king's chamber over the uh, last supper painting the room perfectly aligns what yeah That's and amazing you can, i had no idea right and wow. it, it's crazy to think about and again this is da vinci in the 1400s but still to me that's a pretty cool um uh discovering a sense uh, yeah. In a different way of somebody who was there in the 1400s and was so blown away by the stuff, he encoded it in as in what appears to be some of his his greatest paintings. Yeah, no, that's amazing. It's it's amazing. Like that's just it's like discoveries within things that are already out there, like uh, little you know keys and stuff within the artwork. It reminds me of Da Vinci Code stuff, kind of you know, like going going through and back and and seeing how it all ties together. And then we all know Leonardo da Vinci and his work. And to know that he had been in Egypt probably for these three years and no one really knew about it. And like he had these experiences in the pyramids, probably, you know, just meditating in the pyramid and getting that power source, whatever it's aligned to those for the most gods and then coming and doing this art. It's just amazing. Yeah, it's crazy to consider so much, so much happening in the world and so much. uh, It seems like. Uh, in the last year, at least, I mean, so much of people being awakened is now being awakened to the fact uh, of our hidden history and that there's so much more than we've been told. So again, really excited about some of the other stuff we're going to cover. Yeah, no, it, it's it's totally true because, you know, I am in a recent kind of awakened uh, person in society. I'm a couple of years into this and I'm immediately you just you're like, oh, my gosh, what we learned in school was probably just the outline that they wanted so we could be the cog in the machine in their system. But really, I want to learn about all the stuff that, that you're talking about, like that level of Leonardo da Vinci, even being in the pyramids or what the pyramids were really used for. Like that's the king's chamber, but no king was found there and so it's like we're not taught what these things are really used for and you do want to learn about the world that you're living in and you know it's crazy the thousands of years of kind of lost history because we just learned in school like the last hundred years when the united states was settled and not anything else and you know you know (laughs) yeah if you um 
listeners can, you can go Google like um, ancient history timeline. I did this recently and you, the, I think the first search results going to be, of course, Wikipedia, uh, you know, a gatekeeper and <laughs> you look at their ancient history timeline. It, I think it, if my memory serves me right, it only goes back to 3200 BC and it says Egyptian hieroglyphs began to be used and cuneiform Sumerian writings. I mean, that's it. This is the ancient history timeline. There's nothing before that. It's, it's, it's crazy to consider. No, totally. And it's like you, you, I know I quoted you saying this in the last episode that we did together that they want us to think that we're in the smartest time of history right now and that they were really primitive and dumb and like, you know, um, Neanderthals walking around with their woolly mammoth, like pulling some bones and digging holes. But they were like building the pyramids with sound and like sound frequencies and like channeling like, other being like the you know the spirit world and just like yeah. doing all these they were doing so many things like we're going to talk about Peru and South America and the Incans and the Mayans and the Aztecs because we went to Egypt last time together so we're we're going to take it to the other part of the world and there's so much going on there like there's this is this is the hidden history is these civilizations they seem to hold the keys yeah there's so much going on Again, whether it's the Great Pyramids of Giza to these megalithic walls in Peru, we'll talk about, uh, again, what I would call antediluvian megalithic structures were constructed with some form of lost ancient tech yep. that was far superior to anything we have today. And again, our greatest modern engineering can't, um, I can't replicate it. Somebody just sent me on Instagram this video. It's gone around, but it was such a great reminder of a modern day like this massive industrial uh earth mover type tractor trying to lift this uh it was probably i don't know if it was like a 10 ton block and you know it gets its shovel underneath and just lifts the tractor all the way up like our greatest engineering can't pick this stuff up so there's there's a whole lot more going on. Yeah, no, there's absolutely a whole lot more going on. I was looking, listening to one of your reels. You had done in an interview about the Mayans, and your guest was talking about how there were at one point fifty thousand like um, structures being used, probably as power sources, at the height of the Mayan civilization. I, I mean, fifty thousand. Um, would they be considered megalithics um, spot like these temples and all of them? Like, what what what's going on with all of this? What yeah. were they powering, you know, like what, we don't, where do we find these answers? Yeah. The Mayans are such, uh, such a mysterious, amazing culture. Um, I hope to get back to Mexico here soon. Um, maybe with, at least within the next two years to just um, get some more footage of these sites and learn more. But yeah, the Maya, I mean, they really developed you know, there's like the pre-classic period, there's the classic, the post-classic. These are kind of the buckets that mainstream archaeology gives us when we're thinking about the Maya or the Mesoamerican uh, cultures. Um, but the pre-classic period, it, it it at least goes back to 2000 BC. So I'm saying that the, the, the Maya come from a very uh, ancient civilization. Um, there's a word diffusionism where... Um, it's likely, again, if they could build these megalithic structures with lost ancient tech, they could probably travel fairly easy. So yeah. I believe they were they were communicating um, with these other cultures, which is why we see these pyramids 
on these different continents and see similar megalithic architecture. Right. The same styles like all around the world. I mean, what do you think about Pangea? Do you remember Pangea? The how they said the whole the land was all together and then it's separated. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Is that concept possibly part of why these temples look similar? Maybe they were walkable. You know, <laughs> yeah, I've Pangea. I, I, that is something I need to I dive more uh, into. There's some great theories out there that um, that seems like it could definitely explain how at one point it was easy to communicate. Um, if all the continents were together and you could just walk over, right. migrate, right. migrate over. Um, at the same time, I think I wouldn't want that theory to take away from the fact of these ancients using, again, what I would call, I guess, lost ancient tech that I think made it fairly easy for them to um, not just communicate, but travel. Um, this might sound crazy, but even fly. I was just thinking Ooh. that like they had ships or they had ways to do it. And, and Pangea is what they taught us in school too. So it's kind of like, ah, yeah. you know. Right. But you look at the Maya and you mentioned um, we're learning again. LIDAR is really, thank God for technology because it really is shining a light and forcing mainstream archaeology to kind of start fessing up to their timelines. Yeah. <laughs> because LIDAR is showing, yeah, the Maya had... Um, at one point during the height of their culture, 50,000 plus, uh, some are saying closer to 60,000 active pyramids, which uh, most likely were all built on ley lines, yep. pushing energy up into the atmosphere and likely powering uh, their civilization. Yeah. And it's crazy to think about. And NASA was at Chichen Itza about 10 years ago. Oh, really? And they were studying the main pyramid there, the El Castillo Pyramid, or the, what's also known as the Khan Pyramid. And they had a covering put over the pyramid. You know, I don't whether it was a massive sheet or some kind of scaffolding to cover what they were doing. Oh, really? But when you look into this, they were evidently testing for frequencies emitted from the pyramid. Of course. Yeah, they this know. This is NASA, they, they know, right? Yeah, NASA knows. They know other stuff, right? They might not know what they know about, but they know other stuff. That's a big budget. They have a $60 million a day budget. Yeah. When NASA's down <laughs> studying frequencies at pyramids, I mean, that's... <laughs> I know. They're, they're trying to get crafts off the ground. <laughs> and then I can also send you some photos. I meant to do this before the show if you want to somehow feature these and uh, I don't know, Yeah. your show notes, your podcast, but there's also all these figurines uh, that were created by the Maya that looks like they're wearing bona fide spacesuits. Oh, what? Really? Yeah, it's not It's not one depiction or one little statuette, but I'm, we're talking, there's hundreds of these things, depictions and statues, uh, again, showing Mayans wearing what looks exactly like spacesuits. Um, so again, this makes me lean towards, they definitely had knowledge of still in their time or even possessed some form of lost ancient tech and, and were using it uh, in ways much more than we've been told. Um, so the Maya were brilliant mathematicians, uh, astronomers, and really the descendants of some very uh, sophisticated people. Something else to point out is that um, they may even had like 
a sect or tribe of Mayans that were almost uh, little people. Oh yeah, that's what I but like. The the temples were a lot more for people that were like three feet tall, right? Yeah, there's some um, ruins, especially the ones at Tulum mm-hmm. down there in I've Mexico. Been there. I've been to the okay. Tulum ruins a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the area where it's all like for three feet people? I it was uh, like. 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I can't quite remember that. I mean, walked through the all of it though, so I must have. I mean, I was told it was like a, you know, like a sh- the place where ships would have come to and kind of like undocked and things like that, but they I didn't get. They don't give you any good information on those tours. Right. They just, you just got to wander, you know. When we're when we're talking about the Mayan culture though, my favorite subject of all, I think my favorite site and subject is the site called Palenque. And um, that's because this is where this uh, very mysterious ruler named Lord Pakal ruled. And so this guy ruled around 600 AD, apparently. And this uh, this site is just, it's a beautiful site hidden in the jungle. And there's this big uh, pyramid called the Temple of Inscriptions where Pakal was uh, found inside, I think in the 1950s. Ooh, actually found inside the temple, not like in Egypt, yeah. Right, actually found inside. <laughs> and um, I've seen even some video footage at this site where along the foundations, there's what looks like huge megalithic blocks like you'd see in Peru that almost look like this was the original, original foundations of this site so yeah so palenque is this fascinating site uh um cliff dunning who i interviewed you referenced one of the videos i did with him he talks about how when you go to that temple of inscriptions you know your your uh, compass will spin and he can actually feel a buzz from the energy in certain spots um but there's so much going on with this with this site so Lord Pakal was discovered in this tomb in the 1950s in the main pyramid, and he's wearing this crazy-looking jade mask. Um, you can Google this and find images of this just beautiful, ornate, green jade mask. Um, but his tomb is is massive that he's inside, and I think it weighed 10 tons. This wow. actual box, the box he's he's buried in, and again, this is all shrouded in mystery, it's kind of hard to find photographs of this, and I'll get to why. But um, uh, his his tomb looks very megalithic. It looks very superior even to the pyramid he's buried in. So very interesting. Yeah. Uh, similar to the boxes in the Serapium almost. I think it's 12 foot long on the outside. And again, at least five tons. Um, but the lid of his sarcophagus is what's one of the most fascinating things, again, when we're talking about hints of ancient technology, because if you Google uh, uh, Lord Pakal's lid, tomb or lid, you're going to see the infamous depiction of him sitting on what looks like a spaceship. You know, he's like in a seat. Oh, yeah. He's almost, okay, I'm looking at it. Yeah. He's like almost leaning holding, back. Yeah. Leaning back, almost holding some sort of um, device. Right. And so, uh, again, just so interesting when you take this with all these statues that look like almost spacemen. <laughs> um, right, right. Now, the oral tradition of the original excavators from this uh, tomb uh, 
basically the oral tradition is that this guy was at least seven foot tall. I've heard seven foot three. Wow. And had an elongated skull. The, elongated, um, the elusive elongated skull. Right. So, you know, the, the Mayan people on average were considered a shorter people, like five foot. Right. Here we've got a possible seven plus footer. I've even heard nine foot, um, but I haven't been able to really corroborate that, but at least seven foot, seven foot three. And when you start to look at the depictions of him that we have elsewhere, this guy has crazy features. He, he appears to have a kind of a big girthy body. Um, it looks like he's um, got a club foot and he's uh, polydactyl. He's got like, I believe, six fingers on one hand. Oh, wow. Just like the portrait of Obama. <laughs> Did you see his presidential portrait? Supposedly has a six finger. <laughs> no, There's a few no other I haven't. Too. Yeah, no, because I've been talking a lot about, you know, the, Nef- the Genesis 6-4 and the fallen angels coming, mating with women. And is this when the fallen angels came and you know, these Nephilim hybrids came out and the whole blue blood theory. And maybe this is where the elongated skulls come from. There's so much to think about in in that, you know, and, and were they taller, you know, um, just mm-hmm. the, the kind of characteristics. It's interesting. No, it really is. And then when you look into Pakal's family, they have some of these genetic anomalies as well. So are we looking here at some kind of hybrid uh, demigod ruler of the Mayans in 600 AD? I think it's a possibility. And here's the big um, interesting part is, um, so again, this was this is a major kind of modern day discovery. The actual finding of a Mayan ruler in a pyramid, this would, this should have the biggest, um, <laughs> yeah. This should have the most, all of the news stations all at the same time ever. That should be, should have the mockingbird media repeating this story. Yeah. Right. We should have the most photos to see of this. This should have the greatest exhibits in the museums. Nothing. If you Google a photo of this, or for, for, for instance, when you go there, you only get to see replicas of this stuff. Number wow. one, number two, um, where's the skeletons? You can't find um, Pakal's a, a picture of Pakal's skull anywhere. Wow! If you if you Google images of Pakal's skeleton, the head is blotted out. What? Yeah. So there's you'll see a photo of a skeleton inside the sarcophagus, but but they've basically blurred and grayed out the head. That's crazy. Um, I I right. just I, I must have done a I, I'm trying to Google it and I I've got a bunch of like um animated skeletons that just came up <laughs> that's not, like it won't even auto correct it for me to find it that's crazy so I mean they're yeah. not going to show us the pictures and we know that that's that's an elong that's that's probably an elongated skull that's something that they don't want us to know like immediately we know that right right why wouldn't they want to show us the skull of the, one of the greatest um. Uh, discoveries made when we're when we're talking about ancient anthropology of the Mayan uh, culture. Um, so that's that's an interesting thing. Um, so I think there's a whole lot more going on with the Mayans, with um, the Aztecs, the Olmecs. I mean, these are fascinating cultures, and I definitely want to make sure we got time to talk about uh, the Inca because they're yes. uh, 
Yes. They're a fascinating culture, and I think they dovetail to a lot of other mysteries that we can talk about. Let's dive into it. And and especially since you, this is Peru, right? That's where the Incans were, right in the Peruvian area and Machu Picchu. And this is where your tour that you're doing this fall is going to be going to, where people can actually have an opportunity to go to these megalithic marvels and go to the lands and be there and smell that air and see what the stars look like from that spot. It's just, it's so cool. It's like modern Indiana Jones stuff. Right. Hey, no, thanks for plugging that. Yeah. Um, anybody can go to megalithicmarvels.com slash tours to find out about the Egypt tour or the Peru tour. Uh, Egypt tours in May. And I think registration for that closes at the end of this month. So a couple of weeks left. If you want to jump on that, it's going to be an amazing trip. Private tour inside the Great Pyramid is going to be probably the highlight, but we're going to see 20 plus sites. And then, yeah, Peru tour. Super excited for this. This October. And we're going to see all the big sites, Machu Picchu, Sacsayhuaman. But then we're going to see, and this is what I'm most excited about, we're going to go explore all the hidden gem megalithic sites that your average you know, tour guide wouldn't take a tour group to. Um, some of these sites I've just only seen photos of and always wanted to go. And so really found this great tour company that's um, custom made this tour for me. And so we're going to see... It's the best stuff in Lima. Then we're going to go to Cusco, spend most of our time there. Then we're going to go south down towards Lake Titicaca and um, explore some of the mysteries there. So it's going to be awesome. So let's yeah, talk about that the Inca. once-in-a-lifetime adventure. It sounds amazing. It really is going to be amazing. You have a cool, you have a cool job. Derek, you have a really cool job. It's so much. It's like, it, it, could you imagine like if this were if, uh, in school, like your tours and stuff, the field trips were actually like going to these places and stuff and not like the local like history museum where they like, I, I'm from Midland, Michigan. So that's the he- world headquarters of Dow Chemical. So the, the tour to go on at town for school is to the bromine like museum where they're like, oh, there's all this bromine under the ground. It's so boring. But anyways, <laughs> you guys hop on these tours while you can. Uh, thanks so much. Hey, we're going to have to get you out on a tour one of these I know. days. I want to go on all of the tours. <laughs> I really do, especially the Egypt one. It sounds so cool. Like, And I'm just hearing, I'm like, okay, I have a couple more weeks. I can sign up. Hey, let me know if you're serious and, and, and I, we'll uh, talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. let's chat. And also, I hablo espanol, so I could be helpful on the Peru tour. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I actually okay. lived in Costa Rica. I've been I I've been to Tikal and I've been to Tulum. I know those are mine. Wow. But yeah, I've done a little traveling down there. Okay. I mean, you should be leading this episode. Come on, you've been to all these sites. <laughs> I well Tikal was amazing. I, I went it's in Guatemala and I took like a twelve hour bus to get there. I was traveling around and it was at that time you could climb up on the pyramids and there was nobody there. And I just what climbed up to one of the tops of one of these pyramids and just sat and it was beautiful. It was just it was amazing to be there and just to think like these are so old and like something happened here and like there was a whole civilization and I have no idea and here I am now in the future just sitting, you know. <laughs> Did you get to climb up any of those pyramids at Tikal? No, not at Tikal. Okay. No. There, there yeah, there sorry, I'm not I'm in Tulum, sorry, not in Tulum, in Tikal okay. I did, but I don't okay, know why cool. Tikal there was just like nobody monitoring anything. It was kind of like while there are these little monkey things, but they weren't monkeys. I'm, I can't remember what they were called, but they were crawling around on everything. And yeah, it was. A, I'll send you a picture. I'll, yeah. I'll, I've got it. Fil- it's on on film. It was back in the film days. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll preface this by saying um, when we're talking about the Inca, Aztecs, 
Mayans and so forth. Uh, so most of these ancient cultures in this region um, worshipped the plume serpent. The Aztecs called him Quetzalcoatl. Ah, yes. Uh, Inca called it Veracocha. The Mayans called him Kukukan. So it's interesting that this plumed serpent uh, kind of appears in the archaeological record around 2,000 years ago, kind of in the heartland of the Olmec civilization, um, and you know where they discovered carvings of the snake uh, sporting. That's actually something to look at. The Olmec plumed serpent depiction of it's this snake with a a guy inside wearing what looks like almost a spacesuit. So there's another one. <laughs> Here it is. I'm looking at, it. you know, one time when I was doing psychedelics, I saw a Quetzalcoatl like spirit, like come out of a tree. And I, I would wow. like see spirits when I would take psychedelics. And I literally actually a couple times saw what I believe was like a Quetzalcoatl. It was wild. That's crazy. Yeah, it was really crazy. And then like this big rainbow came out into the sky that wasn't there. And I was just like, what's going on? This is wild. And I'm like, this looks like Quetzalcoatl's coming out of the fence. Now he's coming out of the tree. <laughs> wow, it's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because Quetzalcoatl with the, uh, with the Aztecs, he said to have invented their calendar and, yep. and um, really brought the sacred knowledge to their civilization. So all these cultures are infamous for human sacrifice. Yep. And we can get into some some gory details of that if you want. The, the river the of blood with it. Yeah. Or is, is it the Incas, the Aztecs, they had like a river of blood that would kind of go through the city when they would. Yeah. Yeah. So the crazy part is the plume serpent deities. And again, they had different names. We're not just worshiped as distant gods, but we're actually credited with founding of these civilizations, giving secret knowledge, living even among the people and teaching them occult science uh, sciences before basically departing over the sea. And the crazy thing is these deities would manifest as these bearded, often as these bearded white men that were tall with blue eyes. So um, when we're talking about the Inca, um, again, there's, there's these origins that these bearded white men appeared to them from Lake Titicaca and imparted blessings to their civilization and begin to teach them this stuff. And so it's reasonable to conclude that the Inca probably developed um, from a, a civilization before them that were advanced. And we'll talk about the um, Paracas culture with the elongated skulls that will dovetail into this. Um, but yeah, the Inca, incredible civilization. Um you know, they kind of appeared in 1438 and lasted till 1533 when the Spanish came and, and uh, conquered them. And obviously they were in Peru and all the way down towards Bolivia. The Inca didn't have a written language. So it's it's interesting. They didn't leave behind their own accounts. Uh, so much of what we learn about them comes from uh, what we learned from the Spanish chroniclers and people who saw them and wrote about them. Interesting. Why do you? Why didn't they have a written language? Do we know? Like, you know, like they just. I mean, is there any other civilization that doesn't that didn't like big like that that didn't have a written language? You know, it's interesting. The, um, well, I guess the eastern, eastern, Easter Islanders were kind of similar. They did Ooh, have the some. They did have some wooden writing, but we have never really, I guess, translated it. Wow. Um. So yeah, it's just interesting. The Inca just really didn't have their own written language we know of. And yeah. again, they existed before the wheel 
yet they're credited with creating all of this uh, crazy advanced um, megalithics that were used with advanced technology. And we'll get into again who pre- who might have predated them. I love it. You're like they're they they predated the wheel. <laughs> like oh, the big invention of the wheel, right? Where modern all of us modern civilization people came from. Our big our, our right. lever, our pulley. What are the simple? You know, and they're like using like magic and like frequency and like all this amazing stuff to build things. And we have the wheel. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, the Inca again, they're they're going to be credited in Peru with building all these megalithic walls. Yet they they didn't even have their own written language, and they, um, at least as far as that we can read ourselves, and they didn't. Um, they were before the wheel. Yeah. And it's interesting. Inca refers to not the general population, but actually the highest class of their leaders. Oh wow. So, the Inca wore the royal bloodline and the crazy thing is to protect their bloodline they'd breed with each other hence the sixth finger maybe yeah yeah and it's crazy uh i've read somewhere that these um ruling class leaders you know they were all about polygamy and they would on average leave behind like 200 children wow i mean so this this is insane (laughs) yeah that's crazy. The Inca were they were polytheists. They worshipped many gods, again, which included Viracocha, and they were famous for human sacrifice, like the Aztecs, like the Mayans. Um, in one account I read, I think it was when the Mayan uh, Inca leader Juana Capac died. This is pretty gruesome. As many as four thousand servants, court officials. And his favorite concubines were all killed. Oh my gosh. And put in his, you know, tomb. Whoa. So they would. Yeah. So talk about (laughs) being nervous, right? Yeah. (laughs) If you're a. If you're the concubine or a servant of one of these leaders and he's getting kind of old. Oh gosh. (laughs) Yeah. It's different times. (laughs) So they would be buried, yeah, with, with all of their, um, favorite possessions and again thousands of their their servants slaves and again very brutal just to kill all these people it is brutal like it's okay guys line up like your master's dead so now you have to and be buried i mean that's just crazy i can't even imagine you know right and so the the inca again the ruling class uh leaders were famous for uh artificial cranial deformation of their children because they wanted to set them apart from the general population. And so that's what dovetails us to talking about um, the Paracas culture. I think the, again, we're talking about the leaders, the royal bloodlines, the Inca, the elites. I think they likely descended or somehow were influenced strongly by the Paracas culture, which is down south um on the coast and this is where we find these massive elongated skulls and i don't think we talked about this in our last episode did we no we we didn't no okay yeah i don't know a lot about the elongated skulls um it always reminds so, me of the cone heads though do you remember this cone yeah. head skit <laughs> well yeah i think this is this is where they're getting it from yeah so in the 1920s uh proving archaeologist uh julio tella first discovered tombs in paracas filled with these skeletons that possess the largest skulls on earth. And since then we've, there's been all kinds more found 
They all are believed to date between two and 3,000 years ago. Wow. Again, skeptics immediately cry, well, these were just cradle headboarded. Oh, Here's what, right. Some of them are, like, again, that some of the Royal Inca we just talked about. Right. But many aren't. And so what's going on is there's uh, two unique different skulls found amongst the Paracas. There's the cradle headboarded skulls, which are elongated simply due to cradle headboarding. Right. On these skulls, everything would look similar to ours except the shape of the skull. But then there's the natural elongated skulls. And these are the ones that feature the crazy anatomical genetic differences. And again, these were the nobles and royalty of this Paracas culture that was much older than the Inca. And these naturally elongated skulls, I got to see them on my last trip to Peru. Insane to see. They feature much larger jaw bones, eye sockets. They're up to 50% larger than ours on some of these skulls. Um, They're missing the sagittal sutures. These are the fibrous connective tissues that uh, go between the parietal plates in the back of our heads. They don't have those. Whoa. Um, Also, their cranial volume on average is 25% larger than ours. And there's some, if you Google the uh, Chongos skull at the Ica Museum, that thing's got at least 50% more cranial mass and the key is oh wow cranial deformation it can change the shape it can't add more cranial mass or volume to a skull oh wow right yeah i'm looking at one right now it's crazy it's huge and yeah what's more is uh the form and magnum this is the hole in the bottom of our skulls where the neck attaches uh-huh. on our skulls it's located at the balance point in the center bottom of normal skull but on the naturally elongated Paracas skulls, it's located all the way to the back bottom of a skull. 100% genetic. Yeah, you can't cradleboard that. <laughs> can't change the location no. of it by head binding because you would kill the child, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, what's more, here's another little crazy anatomical thing. On the left and right sides of the back of these natural elongated Paracas skulls are these tiny little bones that our skulls don't have. And these uh, little bones are called Inca bones by mainstream archaeology because they've also found um, these on the Royal Inca skulls of the 13th century. Wow. So I think this is the link, right, between yeah. the the leaders of the Inca um, I think they were related to the Paracas who probably died out 2,000 years ago. Uh-huh. And they all possess this dark red hair. Wow. And yeah. And then again, to make it even crazier, within the within just in the past five years, there's been discoveries of these uh elongated skulls in Peru and also in Bolivia of newborn infants. What really? Born right out of the womb with massive Whoa. elongated skulls. Yeah. Bloodline. <laughs> massive elongated <laughs> yeah. skulls. Again, meaning. There's no way these were intentionally cradle headboarded. This is this is uh, genetic. Yeah, is there? So, do you think that this has to do with blood type too? That like if they it, when they look at the children born with these elongated skulls, and there's no way to probably test blood type off of an old from a skull, right? I, I don't know a lot about that, but no, no, there has been there. Um, uh, Brian Forster and Elliot Marzulli actually did extensive DNA research on these. Yeah. Took them, took them over five years. Yeah. 
I think they sent in um, 15 skulls and they got, or 18 skulls and they got tested back on 12 of them. And in a nutshell, they found that um, eight skulls were found to predominantly trace their ancestry back to the Black Sea by Crimea. Wow. And so Brian Forster theorizes that some 3,000 years ago, the ancestors of the Paracas uh, fled the Black Sea area and headed headed there to the coast of Peru. And guess what? What? <laughs> the other <laughs> the other biggest collection of skulls found on Earth, elongated skulls, are in in the Black Sea. I got photographs of all kinds of them. Where is the Black Sea? That's um, you know, kind oh. of by Crimea and Turkey, Ukraine, Romania. I'm seeing now. Wow. And then they tracing that to Peru. That's so interesting. It's a treasure hunt. Yeah. So crazy to consider. So that's kind of the backdrop of the Inca and who might have predated the Inca. I think it was these uh, elongated skulls, skulled people of Paracas. Yeah. Um, who, again, I theorize, um, I think this could have been possibly some uh descendants uh, of a nephilim tribe yeah yeah no that's not, definitely i mean it, it all uh, who knows right but th- when you look at this is genesis 6 4 you know when you look at that mm-hmm. studying the bible and it's just like learning about what happened here <laughs> like why did god want to flood the earth like was he so what was going on that wasn't going right or did these hybrid beings somehow survive or however they first got down here they came back and there is some kind of there's something about this um, kind of Nephilim theory and even with the RH negative blood and the elongated skulls, like these different characteristics. And some people have um, what you would call, you know, psychic abilities that other people don't have. And those almost seem like extra senses. And maybe that's something that came with those traits. Who knows to contact their ancestors that were, you know, in the stars or the, you know, the fallen angels, the, the, the gods, the lowercase gods. It's very interesting to think about the Nephilim theory. I, I ponder it often. <laughs> yeah. We also have to talk about uh, many tribes of Peru, including the Inca and the Quechuans. They they have oral traditions that speak of the megaliths there being built by giants. Ah, yeah. There you go. The giants fit in here too. <laughs> yep. And the, uh, the Spanish chroniclers who, uh, it's crazy, you know, they're chronicling the uh, Spanish conquering Peru. Uh, but they speak in a lot of places about giants and these are uh, well-to-do people of their day, historians, conquistadors. Um, And so I actually have found a couple of those I wanted to read that are just so interesting. And this is coming straight out of um Books like The Conquest of Peru, written by um, Pizarro. Francisco Pizarro? Yeah. Yeah, I remember learning about him in school. Okay, so this one says... Wait, when it comes to a giant, is there like a certain height where that's like, that's where a giant, over like through time, would they say like someone more than seven feet tall? Or, you know, like what, is there just a random thinking? Yeah, I mean... When it comes to studying giants that may have existed in ancient America or Peru 
or post flood, what we would call giants, you know, it was usually anywhere from seven to 10 feet. Okay. Uh, is kind of the average measurement that you seem to hear about. Um, so like basketball players. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Except for yeah, Bugsy well, Bows. <laughs> se- yeah, seven feet. But they again, they usually have anatomical genetic uh, traits, double rows of teeth, often oh, wow. six fingers or six toes. Um, and then a lot of them, yeah, are eight, nine, ten foot. Again, there's stories of twelve footers too. Yeah. Um, so like here's a um this is written from a Spanish chronicler, Antonio de la Calancha, uh, who was uh actually an August Augustine monk and anthropologist. So he wrote this in 1663 in his book, The Moral Chronicle of the Order of St. Augustine in Peru. And again, this is just a quote from a broader story he's telling, but it says, quote, on the other side of the village was a very large cave and in it many dead Gentiles. I think he's speaking of like dead Inca. And among them, three bodies of giants with deformed skulls. So I thought sounds like he's talking about elongated. Yep, that's what I hear. <laughs> and they were dressed in cumbia. That's like a ceremonial mummification cloth. These are the progenitors of all this people that worship them. So again, pretty fascinating account that this monk is describing this cave, all these dead bodies in it, and set up in there are these what sounds like Nephilim type giants dead with elongated skulls um, wrapped in this ceremonial cloth. It's like they were, they were being worshiped. Yeah. I'll, I'll read you one more. This is coming from uh conquistador and chronicler, Pedro Z de Leon in 1553. He wrote a book called Chronicle of Peru. And it says, quote, this is what they say about the giants, which we believe happened because in this region they have found and find still massive bones. Wow. And again, there's others that talk about finding these, uh, this giant skeleton in a sarcophagus and all kinds of crazy stuff. So, so much going on in Peru, but we definitely have to talk about portals. Yes. You read my mind. I want to talk about portals. I was, I was up right in front of me right now. I've got a crazy story to tell. Share. And then an account I can uh, reference that the Inca shared. Um, so on my last trip to Peru, uh, and again, I guess the the biggest thing I got to point out is it's like Egypt. On our last episode, we talked about the repurposing mm-hmm. where the dynastic Egyptians of 3000 BC, it's like they came along, they found the ruins of these megalithic temples and the pyramids, and they tag them as their own and begin to build on top of them and repurpose them. That's why when you go to a lot of these uh, Egyptian temples like um, Karnak or what's known as the Ramesseum, you'll see all that you'll see 80% dynastic Egyptian architecture, sandstone, limestone stuff. It's awesome. It looks cool. And the dynastics were uh, an amazing culture, but it's clear that they built, in my humble opinion, on this older megalithic civil, uh, architecture based on the tools we know that the dynastics had. Well, the same thing is in Peru. Inca 
uh, fascinating culture. But when you look at the archaeological record, they basically had copper chisels and hammers, yeah, right? Yeah. And so if you go to Machu Picchu, for example, you're going to see 80% of their artwork or their construction, which is what I call rough stone, small rough stone and mortar construction. Well, if you look, it's built on top of megalithic mortarless foundations. Most people don't realize this about Machu Picchu. The core of the site and Machu Picchu already is just so incredible because of its altitude on the tips of these mountains in the jungle. Uh, you know, it's just the most epic landscape. Yeah, it's stunning. And I'm it, looking at a picture right now. I've always wanted to go. It's just unbelievable. Right. And so Google Temple of the Three Windows and you'll get a great visual of what I'm describing. So most people just see photographs of Machu Picchu and the mountain backdrop and the Inca construction. They never see photos of the megalithic foundations of the site, which are far superior to what the Inca constructed. The, the uh, naysayers will say, well, it was all Inca. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't they have built the whole thing out of the superior method, right? which is mortarless, indestructible, anti-seismic blocks? Right. Why would they build that on the bottom and then just put loose rocks and mortar and stones that can easily fall on top of it? Right. 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 No, those three windows are huge blocks and just right that put up just right there, um, right next to each other at the top there. But it's just yeah. like long, flat, chiseled, huge, heavy blocks. Right. So that's part of the core of Machu Picchu, which I think could go back at least to 12,000 years old. Wow. So you see all these sites. Uh, Sacsayhuaman is probably my favorite site because this was the. I, this is where I saw a photograph. I think back in 2012, I might have shared on your last show. I was. This is kind of what got me into this. I was always into history, and one day I was googling ancient, you know, architecture, and I see a photo of Sacsayhuaman. These 120 plus ton megalithic blocks, and I was like, "How have I never seen this before?" How did I not read about this in history school? Right. History class. And that connected me to, again, the megalithic civilization and the cover up of history. But you see right. these blocks, they go 12 feet underground, even what you see. And uh, again, the oral traditions are that when the Spanish arrived and asked the Inca, How did you build this? The Inca said, This was here before we got here. Wow. Just like in Egypt. Um, yeah, like you were saying, just like in Egypt. And that blew my mind when it was like they inherited this. Like somebody else built it and then they claimed it because they came later. Yeah. And my uh, probably one of the my the favorite spot on the, my last trip to Peru, it's a site called Napa Huaca. So it's up there kind of near Machu Picchu in what's called the Sacred Valley. And again, at these big famous sites, there's just thousands of tourists, right? Yeah. Well, I was with Brian Forster and he said, hey, we're going off grid to somewhere. Uh, nobody, we're not going to see anybody else. Awesome. He takes us. To, yeah. He yeah. We're, so we're Let's excited. Go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's get our Jeep. Off the Let's grid. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Right. Let's stay the night. This sounds awesome. He takes us to this, this um, kind of this old mm -hmm. ravine in between these two kind of mountainous hills and there's an old railroad track going down the middle. And he said, okay, we're going to hike down this a ways. And then we're going to just start cutting up the face of this mountain. 
And this was like summer, so there wasn't snow or anything. And there was kind of a trail. So you start going up the side of this mountain. And I mean, this is a hike. And you start to see Inca ruins, you know, small rough stone stairs. And again, that for most people would be mind-blowing enough, right? Inca ruins on a mountain. This is amazing. (laughs) But there was something far greater up above. And so it got me thinking, man, why were the Inca building here in the middle of nowhere in this ravine on the side of a mountain? Clearly they found something. Right. And so we go up and up in the distance, you can see this cave. And Brian's like, yeah, we're going into that cave. And <laughs> now he comes from uh, a different worldview than I do in some cases. So he actually brought this guy who had Inca bloodlines and was like, I think some kind of shaman. Yeah. And so they, the Inca, even in their time, thought of this site as very sacred, mm-hmm. like a portal is we're going to get to. Yeah. And so before we, we get up to the cave, everyone's almost out of breath. We take a rest and this Inca uh, shaman type guy, he's spraying incense and he's saying, Hey, we, we want to not disturb the spirits inside. We want to, uh, we yeah. want to be benevolent. Yeah, because yeah, the spirit world's real. Yeah. So I'm going, oh man, what am I what am I getting myself into? Yeah. So we so we get inside this cave. It was the most mind-blowing thing I've ever seen. And this is partly why we're going back to Peru. Uh, and if you come with me, you're gonna get to see this because I made sure that I wanted this on our itinerary. Yeah. You enter this cave. And it's this massive cave where the ceiling kind of goes up in a triangle. That's all natural. Uh, you, if you look to the left, you see this old Inca wall, rough stone. If When you pan to the right, you see this, the whole uh, cave wall is sheared off, precision, and it's cut out in 3D with laser-like precision and there's different layers. Again, that's why I say 3D. Mm-hmm. There's basically door cutouts, and then there's this faux or false door in the center. Um, precision uh, rectangle. In the middle of a cave in the Andes, high up in the middle of nowhere. Right, Nobody right, brought. Right, right. There's no, yeah, no tools, no electricity, no nothing. Just, yeah. Yeah, no one. No one brought, uh, you know, high-powered uh, drill or power <laughs> tools with a long cord. Yeah, they're diamond saw. Yeah. <laughs> and so you've got this this wall with this portal-looking shape, and you pan to the front, and there's what looks like the best I can uh, describe it is either an altar or a console, mm-hmm. and it had like these. Uh, I've got videos of this on my Instagram if you want to check it out. Um. So anyway, it's crazy. The Incan shaman is telling us, hey, this is a sacred Inca site. Yeah. This was a portal where the Inca elites would come and pass through dimensions. This is what he's telling us. Yeah. Yeah. And sadly, the top of this console looking piece near the front of the cave was blown off. Someone brought up dynamite. Oh my God. Maybe a hundred years ago or 50 years ago and did that. Ooh, they disturbed the gods. Not a good idea. But he would he told us how that this console aligned with one of the solstices or the sun rise, sun setting. 
and how there was originally a hole that a hole in this sunlight would pass through. And if you see the video I have of this, he bows down and he's sitting inside one of these like console. He's, I guess, kneeling in this console like seat thing. And he said, you'd press your forehead. And um, again, at the right time of the year, when the sunlight goes through this basically, um, you know, activates something. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're all going, wow, okay, whatever. This yeah. is cool. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, he's like, now we're all just going to sit down and, and uh, he goes, let's just meditate. And basically he basically said, let's welcome the spirits. Wow. Wow. He starts, he starts beating a drum and you know, most people are like meditating or in a meditative state. I'm looking around what, what did I get myself into? Right. <laughs> the next thing I noticed, this was probably a couple of minutes in. You know, it's it, you know, it seemed quite peaceful. You know, you're in this mountainous cave yeah. and this nice drum is beating and yeah. he's telling us to just relax. All of a sudden this guy lets out a blood curdling scream. Oh wow. Yeah, scares us to death. Oh my gosh. Because he was scared to death. Oh we my like gosh. literally all Yeah. We look over and this guy's flailing his arms like he's being attacked. Whoa. And people, you know, we rush over to him like, what's going on? How can we help you? And um, when he basically settles down, he tells the craziest story. He basically says, I was meditating, you know, as, as this guy was telling us to. My eyes were closed. And he basically said he saw a entity. It was either yeah. a jaguar, wow. some yeah. kind of jaguar or puma, mm -hmm. come out of that portal and enter him. Whoa! Or or a, or, a or jump on yeah. him or attack him or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I understand. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. where he was scared out of his mind. You know, I mean, embarrassing himself. I don't think he'd yeah. make this up to embarrass no. himself like this in front of <laughs> right, us. Right, right. <laughs> Screaming uncontrollably. And to me, this was just fascinating and showed the correlation here of some of what we're dealing with when we're talking about me uh, megalithic ruins, yep. portals, yep. the Inca, and how it dovetails to present day the spirit world, right? Yes. Yes. No, you're sharing this story. And I don't know how much I've shared with you about my experiences with um, psychedelics in the spirit world. And I, I was... I didn't have any foundation in God or, you know, I wasn't a believer. I'm a believer now in Jesus. I don't do this stuff anymore. Um, but I was for a long time um, taking psychedelics and seeing the spirit world and spirits. I, I mind melded with spirits. It's a real thing. I've seen a, a gray. I've seen that come out of somebody. I've seen spirits like Ganesh. Like I know how the eyes are portals and these things like what Alistair Crawley did and the Alma Trial working. All that stuff is real. Like this, it's the spirit world is not, it's, I call it, it's like the wild, wild west. Like we're, God's like, be careful. Don't go there. Like don't worship these other, these lowercase gods because you don't really know what you're getting into or what you're seeing. Like that Jaguar, you were saying that, I'm like that reminds me of like a hellhound or something or some kind of gatekeeper. You, you know, you guys are in this like really sacred grounds. You don't really know what, you know, really what it's for what was going on but it was set up a long time ago very specifically for a reason for a kind of ceremony and so it doesn't surprise me that like there's spirits in the spirit world kind of 
guarding that area, but that is what the spirits do. They can jump into you. Like if you're, I believe, this is my personal belief, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you cannot, these spirits can't come into your body. But if you're not, and when I wasn't, you know, I had the capabilities of being a medium and these spirits will jump into your body. They'll speak through your mouth. You'll see them. Sometimes I've seen the energy of them like on the outside of my body. It's, it's the, I believe the spirit world is an energy realm. All those dimensions are accessible through the energy realm, like through the third eye and meditation and all these things. Um, so it's to me, that's that story is very real and um, fascinating. And that just shows that the, these locations, they are portals. They are built on specific spots, very specifically. And, you know, the, the spirit world is it's there and it's a wild, wild west, as I've been calling it lately. We don't know like what, you know, what's going on there. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting how it seems like there's, uh, again, just in what I do, talking about ancient history, it's uh, there's so many people into the energy and into what that means in the spirit realm. Yeah, and again, these aren't what you would call Christians, right? Right. And so uh, people go. I mean, and, and if you come with me to Egypt and Peru. Um, you're going to see people that do engage in some rituals. Um, and you know, I can't control all that, yeah. Um, but people are drawn to these megalithic sites because of the energy, so yep. yeah, no, totally. When I, I mean, I can't tell you how many people I knew when I was in like 2020 when I kind of got into that new age sort of group and like mindset that wanted to go to Sedona, they wanted to go to Mount Shasta, you know, because they're portals. They know that that these are energy points and, you know, ley lines cross. And even where I live here in Austin, Texas, um, there's a lot of limestone right underneath the heart of the city. And they, you know, the pyramids were covered in limestone. Limestone is kind of like they, they would call it like a solar plate here that Austin also has ley lines that cross. And there's a lot of energy here. Tesla just moved here. Like it's certain places hold certain energies and they're mapping, like even Washington DC is like set up in a certain way and on ley lines and all the, uh, the obelisks, you know, around the world are set in certain places. Like, and it, you'd be a fool to not think that energy and frequency and the spirit world and all of that is actually a very powerful, real thing that's going on. But they're not teaching us about this stuff because they're, they're holding it for themselves. It's they're you know, they're using it though. It's it, that's, that's like, to me, that's where the, the big texts came from was from the spirit world well said well said <laughs> i don't think i could have said i don't think i could have said that better yeah it's it's so interesting to consider that again my research into obelisks um and we don't have time to go into that now but why why and how there's a massive obelisk in washington dc perfectly aligned it sets into the more, capitol dome it's a sex magic ritual every day it's, when the sun it's yep it's more than just for looks, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's, and the Washington Monument, I think it's 555 feet tall, which is like, goes like, denounces to like 6,666 inches or something crazy. Like everything is set up perfectly. It's, and there's a, there's an obelisk in like um, the Vatican, right? And then there's one in mm-hmm. London. And then that probably makes a triangle that's some other kind of portal. And it's really fascinating. Like I, I would love to chat with you more about obelisks next time. Have to have you back on the show again because I hey, love talking to you. There we go. We'll do an obelisk show. Yeah. 
Well, Derek, thank you so much for um, guiding us on this journey right now in the metaverse to all these different places and the lost histories that we aren't taught in school. And it, it's to me, it's it's fun. It's like going on a like like I was saying, kind of like an Indiana Jones adventure, like chatting with you and talking about these things. Um, and so if anybody wants to find you, you have your website, megalithicmarvels.com. You've got a really amazing YouTube channel, Megalithic Marvels, your Instagram. You're always putting out awesome content, doing interviews all the time. You're very active in learning and seeing what the new um, discoveries are and sharing them in a way that makes sense. So thank you because it's so complex that I need it. I need it. The way you share it is awesome. <laughs> um, and then everybody, you know, if you can get, you've got a couple weeks. I'm going to try to do it too to get in this Egypt tour. Um, that's happening in May. It's a 12-day expedition with the Megalithic Marvels tour group, and he's also hosting the Adventure of a Lifetime in Peru this fall. When and if you get to go to that the cave, the magic cave, make sure you have your armor of God on. But Derek, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh man, Kareth, again, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed the discussion, and I hope that. Your audience enjoys our uh, topics there. And um, yeah, follow me. Um, and hey, it's always fun watching your reels that pop up too. <laughs> Great job. You're uh, really creative with the, with the reels on Instagram, crushing it. So keep it going. Thank you so much. Have a great day, Derek. See ya. Awesome. And nothing-